to study from the Word of God. We're going to be thinking about this morning the subject of baptism because the New Testament teaches us about God's plan of salvation. Many of the songs that we have sung this morning have been about Jesus and His salvation that He has brought and He has secured for us that we are able to enjoy. And we must believe in God and His Savior Jesus or His Son Jesus Christ, our Savior, who died for our sins. In the book of Acts, we read about Jesus and the salvation that is found in His name in Acts chapter 4. And in verse 12, the apostles, they were being questioned about why they were preaching in the name of Jesus. And He said, Peter and John, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. And so we know that there is salvation that is freely offered. It is by God's grace that He offers it and extends it to us. But what we sometimes fail to understand is that there is a plan for how God's plan of, or how God's salvation is offered and it is secured. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, we see this question posed in verse 37 as Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? There was this question of what must we do? In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, just a few chapters later, Towards the middle of the book, in chapter 16 and in verse 30, as Paul the Apostle is in the city of Philippi, he is imprisoned. And in verse 30, he is imprisoned and this jailer comes to him and he asks, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? God has offered salvation. It is a free offering. It is by God's grace. And so that we also see that how are we going to secure this salvation? How can we receive this blessing of God's forgiveness to be saved and to be a child of God? Peter told the people at Pentecost to repent and be baptized. Paul told the jailer to believe and he was baptized that very night. In the same hour of the night we learn in verse 31 of Acts chapter 16, Paul says, they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. He goes on in verse 33, And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. What you see is that baptism played a very important part, a very important role in these two conversion stories. Because baptism is an important and necessary step becoming a Christian. Jesus taught about baptism in our Scripture reading this morning from the Gospel of Mark at the close of Mark in Mark chapter 16. He said in verse 16 that he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Jesus in His own words tells us that we must believe and we must be baptized if we're going to be saved, if we're going to be a child of God. There might be many questions that we deal with about baptism. 
What is it necessary and why is it necessary? Why is baptism such a big deal? Why did Peter command people to be three to, to be baptized in Acts chapter 2? 3,000 souls were baptized that day. Should we even continue to practice baptism today? If you're not a Christian this morning, ask yourself this question: should you be baptized? And maybe it is that you have said, Well, I believe in Jesus, but if you have only believed in Jesus but have never been baptized, ask yourself this question, are your sins truly forgiven? We want to ask ourselves, why is baptism such a big deal? Because this morning what we're going to do is try to see what baptism does. What does baptism accomplish? And we will see some answers that I think are very helpful for us this morning. First, baptism washes away past sins. In the book of Acts, we have the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul. And it's actually recorded in a few different times in the book of Acts. In chapter 9, chapter 22, and chapter 26. All in various forms and different aspects of it are being emphasized. But what we learn is that Saul, the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, same person. Saul was praying while he had gone to Damascus with the intent and the purpose to kill Christians or to throw them into prison. He saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. And in that appearing, Jesus told Saul, go into Damascus, and there it will be told what you must do. So Saul was not saved on the road to Damascus. That's something I think is very important for us to recognize. That Jesus said, you need to go on further and be told what you must do. And so whenever we see Saul come into Damascus in Acts chapter 9 and in verse 9, it says, and he was... Three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Skipping down to verse 11, And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. He's talking to Ananias here. And he tells him to go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man named from Tarsus named Saul is there, for he is praying. It's important to see what... Jesus says. He's praying there. As Jesus has appeared to Ananias, He says, go preach to him. Go tell him what he needs to do. He's praying. But Jesus does not say Saul is saved. He does not say he's a Christian. Does he? Here's Saul, he's blinded for three days. He's without sight. He's praying for those three days. And he is still not yet a Christian. And how many times do we hear, maybe on TV or uh, maybe from pamphlets that we've been given, that if you just say the sinner's prayer, you'll be saved. That's all that you have to do. Here is Saul and he's praying and he's still not yet a Christian. 
In verse 18, we learn after Ananias comes to him, he says, and immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. Saul did that at Ananias' words that are recorded for us in Acts chapter 22, just a few chapters later. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. Saul was baptized. He was washed with water to have his sins washed away. What you see is that Ananias is very clear that before Saul was baptized, his sins were still with him. The guilt and the burden of sin was still upon him. It was not until after he was baptized that his sins were washed away to be removed from him. This was an immersion. The word baptism is really a transliteration of a Greek word, baptizo. And what that just means, it's a fancy way of saying they took a Greek word and made it an English word. <laughs> they took a, a word from another language and they made it an English word. The word means immersion. It doesn't mean sprinkling or pouring, and I think we can see that in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8, in Acts the 8th chapter, when Philip is preaching to the eunuch, in Acts chapter 8, in verses uh, 37 and 38, as Philip is preaching and he talks to him, and he says in verse 36, the eunuch asks Philip, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip tells him that if he believes with all his heart, you may. And Philip, or the eunuch says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In verse 38, he ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. There was enough water for them both to go down into. And he says in verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. There was water that they came up out of. That doesn't describe a sprinkling or a pouring. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul describes baptism as a burial. You know, if you have ever had to bury an animal, a pet, I was a kid and I had a, a fish, and I wasn't good at keeping fish alive. I didn't want to just flush it down the toilet. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to take the fish and bury it. For whatever reason. You know what I had to do? I had to get a little shovel. And I had to bury the fish. Then I had to put that dirt back on. I didn't just take a little bit of dirt and sprinkle it over the fish. Because that wouldn't have been a burial. A burial is a submersion. It is immersion in water. And so while Saul was praying, he was told to get up and be baptized. Baptism is a burial in water. And when we enter into the waters, when we are baptized to have our sins washed away, we are forgiven from our past sins. We enjoy the blessing of forgiveness. That is what Peter is telling 
his audience in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, as they are pricked in the heart, as they come to realize that they are guilty of putting Jesus on the cross, that they have murdered the Son of God, who is now exalted at the right hand of God, they are convicted. They have this emotional response of guilt. And they ask, what shall we do? And Peter says in verse 38, Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is when our sins are washed away, when we are forgiven of our sins. When Saul was baptized, he was forgiven of the sins he had committed, which are many. Paul describes himself in the book of 1 Timothy as the chief of sinners. That he had been a blasphemer. He had murdered. He had thrown... Disciples of Christ into prison. He had blasphemed the name of Jesus. He was an unbeliever. But after he was baptized, he was clean. You think about what Ananias says, wash away your sins. When I get really dirty or muddy, go take a bath. You're cleansed on the outward. And what he's saying is that this is not just an outward cleansing. This is something that touches the conscience. Peter makes this abundantly clear in 1 Peter, in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. In 1 Peter, chapter 3, and in verse 21, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. So there's the thesis, there's the major thought, right? Baptism saves you. Now he's going to tell us not the removal of dirt from the flesh. This isn't just an outward ceremony. It's not just a cleansing of something, of dirt from the flesh, but it is an appeal to God for a good conscience. It's that our, the guilt of, and the burden of sin that we carry, once we come to realize that we have transgressed and broken God's law. And we are doomed to hell. That once we enter into the waters, our conscience is clean. That guilt is removed. And we are saved. God's grace is sufficient to save you from your sins. God's grace is sufficient and your past sins can be forgiven when you are baptized. Baptism washes away your sins completely and you can become a new person in Christ. And I want to ask you a question if you're sitting on the fence and you're thinking, well, preacher, I'm just not convinced that baptism is something I have to do. It seems an awful lot like a work that, uh, where I'd be trying to earn my salvation or something. Why would you want to refuse baptism? I just want to ask that question. Why would you want to refuse it? Why would you not want to be baptized? 
In this beautiful description and this participation where we are able to have our sins washed away in the language that is used. God's grace is sufficient to save you from your sins. Don't think that you're ever too bad or too awful or that you have done too many sinful things to say, well, you know, God wouldn't save me. Look at Saul. Look at what he had done. Satan is the one who is wanting you to believe that you're too bad to receive God's forgiveness. Because anything that might prevent you from drawing closer to God's grace is going to become Satan's tool. And God's grace and forgiveness is available to everyone. And so baptism washes away sins. But it also does something more than that. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, preacher, I'm able to catch me a little nap before lunch because this is about baptism. I've already done that. I don't need to be baptized. Well, now's the time to wake up and turn to Romans chapter 6. Because Romans, the sixth chapter, is where the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome. He's writing to Christians, writing to people who have been baptized. And he wants to remind them of their baptism. That's what I want you to do this morning if you have already been baptized. I want you to think back upon your baptism when you became a child of God. In Romans chapter 6 and in verse 3, Paul asks, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. What Paul does, he shows that in baptism, we are united with Christ. We are united with Christ in His death and burial and in His resurrection. And when we are raised, just as Christ was raised from the dead, when we are raised out of baptism, we have a new life. If you continue on reading in... Romans chapter 6, and in verse 10, he's talking about Jesus. How the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives to God. That He lives to God. That Jesus, He has a purpose now. And I would submit to you that we also have a purpose. Once we are baptized, baptism sanctifies us to now be useful in His service. In God's service, we have to live and we have to remove sin from our life. Notice what Paul says, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Once you're baptized, you're putting that old person of sin and you're burying him. What do we do? What, what did I expect with that dead fish? I expected him to stay buried, didn't I? Didn't expect to go back inside and see him in the fishbowl. You put that old person of sin to death. 
and you're raised to walk in newness of life, to sin no more. He says in verse 7, For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, verse 8, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That Jesus, once He was raised, He wasn't going to die anymore. He was immortal. When we enter into the waters of baptism and we come up out of the waters, we are ready for service to God. Where we need to remove sin from our life. We cannot allow that old man of sin to remain on life support. We have to bury him completely. And then we have to give our whole life in service and obedience to God. In verse 16, Paul says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Now isn't that interesting that Paul is reminding these Christians who have already been baptized, you still have choices to make. You still have a choice to make. Even if you have been baptized, are you going to obey God? Or are you going to disobey God? Are you going to obey or are you going to engage in sin? That's the present choice for each and every one of us that we all have to realize. Because we're going to obey somebody or something. We are going to give our heart and our allegiance to either God or Ourself and Satan. And obedience to God is recognizing God as our Master where we are giving Him our life voluntarily. Where we were once enslaved to sin that guaranteed death. He says in verse 17, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. That you have been baptized. You have become a Christian. You became obedient. Now it's time to remain that way. If you continue on down to the end of the chapter in verse 22, Paul says, But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, when were we freed from sin? When we buried that old man of sin in baptism, when we were united with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection, when we were baptized, we were raised to sin no more. He says in verse 22, Now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Sanctification. That's a word that we probably don't use just every day. It's one of those church words that we sometimes use when we're at church, and that's about it. But it simply means holiness. Holiness, that might be another church word. It's, I always get aggravated when I read a, a definition and it defines the word with the word. That's not a definition, right? Okay, so holiness or sanctification, they're the same thing. 
It's to be separate, distinct, distinguished, set apart. We're sanctified. That we are the ones who are people who are to serve God. We have been separated from sin and now we are on the side of God. That means that we have to accept a holy lifestyle that is seeking to obey God and do His will. Sanctification is the benefit we receive after being baptized and freed from sin. And while we may not use sanctification and holiness much today, at least outside of a church setting, and there's a lot of confusion about it, sanctification and holiness means moral purity. That we have to keep ourselves morally pure. It means that we have to obey God. It means that we have to abstain from sin. However, holiness is more than that. That sanctification and holiness, it also implies that we are to be used. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is a favorite passage of mine in helping us understand what sanctification really is. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 20, Paul says, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and the honor and some the dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified. There's our word. Useful to the Master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful loose and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So you see here, as Paul is really trying to help us understand the idea of sanctification, he says, you're a vessel. You're a clean vessel, right? And he says, in a large house there's vessels of gold and silver. There are also other kinds of material. Wood and earthenware, some to honor, some to dishonor. Maybe the, the jobs that they do aren't all that presentable. So he says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the Master, prepared for every good work. Are you that kind of person that you're useful, prepared for any kind of work that we might need as a congregation of God's people? If we're asking you to teach a class or to do something in the service to lead us, to lead songs or to... Uh, Wait at the table. Are you willing to do it? Are you ready to serve? No matter what it might be. He says there are some things that are honorable, some that are less honorable. You might think in a household. You might have your favorite china. That family heirloom. I know we had a china cabinet in my house when I was growing up as a kid, and I know that we ate on it all of about five times in my years of growing up. We, it was in a cabinet, it was looked at, it was pretty, but it was never used, right? 
I come from the school of thought, if it's not useful, then get rid of it. Right? I don't know how you may think of it. If that offends you, then you can tell me your thoughts on China later. But that's a vessel for honor, right? And I can tell you on those five occasions when we brought out the China, oh, someone was coming over that was important for some reason. It was a special occasion. You know something else that is important that might be in your household that it's a vessel that you need to use, a tool that you need to use, and it's extremely helpful at certain times. It might be something that's found in your bathroom called a plunger. Something that's not very impressive, right? You're not going to show your plunger off whenever someone comes to visit. Boy, is that helpful, right? It's very helpful. Sometimes we may need people to lead worship to God, but sometimes we might need people to clean the building. Sometimes we might need people to teach a class, but we also might need people to take out the trash. We have all sorts of things that need to be done. And after we're baptized, we are sanctified. We're not just a pretty delicate china that's put in a cabinet not to be used. As a Christian, we have been baptized and we are now to be put to work. That's the whole purpose of sanctification. I think that's exactly what Paul is trying to get us to see here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. That we are sanctified for service and we need to get busy working. A third thing that we see that baptism accomplishes and does is that it puts us in a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 28, in Matthew the 28th chapter and in verse 19, Jesus speaking to His disciples said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that disciples are made when they are baptized. You become a disciple when you are baptized. And not only that, you are a disciple who has a relationship with God. Because the Father planned our salvation. And in doing so, when we responded obediently, He became our Father. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 2, Peter opens his letter and he says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours to the yours in the fullest measure. That salvation was planned by God. He for knew this plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. And when we have faith and when we're baptized, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26 and 27, that we become children of God. If we are a child, then God becomes our Father. The Son died. His blood was shed and He became our Savior. And the Spirit sanctified us. He added us to the body of Christ and became our helper. Thinking about what Jesus said, 
baptizing you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit with the triune God, three persons of the Godhead, we have a relationship. God is our Father. Jesus is our Savior. The Spirit is our Helper. He helps us in our prayers. He gives us strength. He has revealed His Word, God's Word to us. We have a relationship with those three that we never had before. Baptism is able to accomplish a great deal. And when we are baptized, we are given a new relationship that we did not have before. A relationship with God, Jesus, and the Spirit. You think about baptism and what it is able to do. You become a disciple of Jesus in baptism. You are forgiven of your sins in baptism. Your sins are washed away in baptism. You are clothed with Christ in baptism. Baptism is when God works and takes away your sins. As Peter said so clearly, baptism saves us. But then you think that baptism is an important and necessary part of God's plan of redemption. While baptism is that essential component, it's not the only part. Baptism is effective because of God's wonderful grace. Baptism is effective because of Jesus' death on the cross. And baptism is effective because of our faith in God. It's not baptism alone that saves. It's baptism based upon the grace of God the death of our Lord and Savior, and because of our faith in Him. If you have never been baptized, to have your sins washed away, I have a question for you this morning. Why do you delay? Why do you refuse? If you believed that you were saved at the point of faith, but were never baptized... You've seen what, the, what Jesus in the New Testament teaches us about baptism. That baptism saves us. Not before baptism, not without baptism. Baptism is an important part of it. Come to the waters today. Don't put it off. Do not delay. Come this very hour. As Ananias said to Paul, now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. If we can help you become a Christian, we'll be happy to do so this morning, baptizing you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you have made that step, but you've not been living that sanctified life that you need to live, and you need to Repent and come back to the Lord. We want to help you do that as well. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?